Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening, y'all? Today, I have the pleasure of having an overdue mad scientist himself, Neil Bawa. Welcome to the lab, my friend. Welcome. Um, I'm really happy to be here, Ruben. I, I know we've tried to make this happen for a while, and I'm so I'm, I'm thrilled that it's finally happening, and we're on the Investor Talent Show. Absolutely. So, so first of all, this is the lab, and I'm so honored to have you because, um, if you know, it is this show is produced by Invested Talent, but it is the Real Estate Experiment, and now mm -hmm. the Real Estate Experiment is literally just what you call yourself, and it's not often that we have two mad scientists, I would say, in the lab because, you know, real estate is about experimenting and then doubling down, and you have more, you're more than qualified than anybody, and I want to level set for a little bit because to those of us who are listening, you may or may not know Neil. But uh, Neil is a very uh, common name, uh, again, very well-known name in the space, I should say, if you're listening or if you're driving to this. Um, to put things into perspective, uh, Neil is the CEO of Grow Capitalist Investments, uh, CEO of uh, Multifamily U. We were just talking offline. They're currently, their portfolio currently right now at this moment as we're speaking is around 350 million assets under management. Um, and uh, what's really cool, I want to talk about it because you're, you know, you're, uh, um, you're syndicating the deals, you're an active investor, you're also a passive investor, and you also have this wonderful vertical integration that I want to talk about because you have a platform that allows people to learn. And over 2,000 students, uh, you have meetups across the, the, the nation. I mean, what I'm looking at here is the scientist that I, that I want to be one day. So I'm, I'm honored to have you here in the lab. Uh, and that's what it is. Uh, that's what it's all about. Real, uh, experimentation. It's about uh, really having an impact and, and experimenting. And obviously, uh, Neil, you know, not all experiments go well, but you definitely have a lot to show. Uh, and, and we're so thrilled to hear about the good and the bad. So Welcome into the lab. And I wanted to make sure we level set and gave you the introduction that you deserve, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love being called a mad scientist because it, it really matches with who I am. And a lot of people are like, how is it that you are managing to get $100 million plus from investors with the name like the mad scientist? Who gives money to a mad scientist? And my answer is, other mad scientists, right? My, my investors are people that are technologists. My investors are people that are doctors. These are people that understand the value of science, the value of experimentation. And so they love the fact that I have the most diverse portfolio of anyone mm. in syndication. I mean, I've, I, I, I've always looked to see if there's one other person that I can find in syndication that has as many asset classes as I'm involved in. And I've never seen anybody come close. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the mad science is clearly working because I'm able to do all of these different asset classes and simultaneously work on them and have three different businesses inside of my company. And it, it works. So yeah, you have to be a little, uh, slightly crazy to invest with me, but, uh, but that so far seems to be working. Well, what I love about what you said is, that, again, the, the, the type of people that you're attracting is very similar to who you're working with. And we'll get to that in a second. Yep. Um, but most importantly is, you know, 
every scientist has a lab, has a logbook and has a lot of data. And I know you're very data driven and I want to get to that, but we'll take a step back because you did mention something. I don't want to slip through the cracks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, practice, uh, you know, health technology experts. You have a very unique background. Take us back to Unitech College because Mm -hmm. I think everything ties in together. And my job is to kind of like dive in a little bit, understand who you are, because I think you're a reflection of truly a business, a successful business like the ones that you run is truly a reflection of the real mad scientists behind it. So take us a little step back. Unitech sure. College education, you spent, what, 17 plus years doing that? What is that? And how did that come about? And how did you transition? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm from India and I came here in 1997 and, uh, you know, things are blowing up this day. So I joined this technology company called Unitech Education at that point in time. It wasn't called Unitech College then. And I start developing their technology education business and growing it. And as we're growing it, we realized that there was scope for other businesses. And I started taking this to the owner and said, hey, I'd like to grow other divisions of this business. The technology education is growing, but I want to grow the solar training business. I want to grow the healthcare training business and turn it into a college that has basically different programs. And he really loved my vision. So he in two years after joining, three years after joining, I became a partner in that business. Still, the the majority of the business, the big business was at technology education over 10 or 12 years, kind of the other businesses sort of grew. And so what my that's where my streak of experimentation started, right? So the senior partner in the firm, his name was Paul. He still is my, my best friend. 20 years later, he said, I love the fact that you want to experiment. I love the fact that you're going beyond technology into solar training and healthcare training and doing those sorts of things. And so he created this spark in me that experimentation is not bad in business. It's good, right? When you do this, you actually build more resilience and you learn from your failures. And then in 2003, I, and I remember distinctly, it was July 1st, 2003. He said something that changed my life. He said, Neil, we're a very profitable business. But all of our landlords hate us because we're an education business and the students come in and they mess up the carpets. They bring in the, the rain with them. Our landlords always hate us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually built our own campus like from scratch and owned it, right? You put money in, I put money in. We become the investors. We, we build a campus and we rent it back to the company. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea, Paul, go ahead and do it. And he's like, no, it's a brilliant idea, Neil, you go and do it. And I'm like, Paul, I mean, you know all this new construction stuff, right? You, you have a background in this. I have a computer science degree. I haven't even rehabbed my single family home. He's like, no, no, I'll help you and you'll figure it out. And he did help me. And he knew a lot. And he, under his guidance, under his supervision, I was able to help build an enormous campus. It was 27,000 square feet, over 40 rooms, massive campus, $6 million. We built it from that day onwards. We went out and found, you know, uh, we went out and found a shell a few days later. And it, it took us exactly a year to build that. And it completely changed our business, right? Completely changed our business because no one could compete with a company that had a custom built campus, the right size, every single room, the right size, every single room designed for specifically what we were doing. No one could stand against us. And so we ended up building five more campuses over the next 10 years. So we ended up with six campuses in this technology business between the year 2003 and 2013. 2013 is when we sold the business, right? And so real estate, it's in my DNA, not as a real estate professional, but as a technology professional, as a businessman, as a chief operating officer of a 400-person company, I realized that real estate gives you incredible business advantages. And at the same time, 
I personally, because I was invested in 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 that in those some of those campuses, I saw the benefit of the cash flow. I saw the benefit of depreciation. I saw the benefits because I had the big fat tech salary. I live in California. I was paying 40, 50% in taxes. And all of a sudden I was paying less because of the depreciation benefits. I'm like, wow, this is great. How, how do I do more of this, right? And so um, as I was thinking about that stuff, the great recession struck. And everyone else is like, this is the worst time to buy real estate. And I'm a data scientist. So I'm like, no, this is the best time to buy real estate. My family is like, you are insane. We're not going to talk to you if you buy any real estate. So I had to secretly buy real estate and not tell my family about it because everyone well, well, thinks like, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. And, and Neil, I want to, I mean, you're dropping so many good gems that I'm, I'm going to get to because I've been writing notes. That's what we do in the lab for, for, for the <laughs> folks because uh, you're just hitting so many good points. But what made you think, I guess, at this point, you've gathered a lot of data over time and, and what is telling you that it's a good time to buy when everyone's saying no? What, what is that? So um, what, one of the things that happens is that um, real estate does really, really well when prices go down. And what we've seen is if I look at the 50-year curve, every time there's a recession, the people that buy in that recession are the, are the big winners. Not the people that are buying in the middle of a cycle or at the end of a cycle. It's the people that are buying you know, at, at, at the beginning of a cycle. And so a lot of people are saying to me, you know, I, I'm going out and checking out these beautiful brand new homes, four bedrooms, you know, they've been built three years ago and they're available for $100,000. And I come back from those trips and I'm really excited. And I, I tell people, look, this, this is $100,000. And do you know that the cost to construct this today is 200000 and they're like, oh, you're going to lose your shirt. There's no renters. There's no, you know, nobody's ever going to buy this thing. You're, you're a total idiot. Please don't do it. You know, if you do it, we're, we're not even going to invite you to our family, you know, events anymore because you're going to be bankrupt. And I'm like, did you hear the part about this cost $200,000 to build and I can buy it for $90,000? And nobody listened to me. And the math is so insanely compelling because you can buy something and in, in, in one single month, you can basically be cash flow positive by a very large amount of money. So here's, here was the challenge, though, that there was a big challenge there, Ruben. And, and I, I want to discuss that challenge next, but I, I, that's, hopefully that's the answer to your question. I mean, the mathematics were so ridiculously compelling that I had to do it, even though my family was dead against it. So that's so interesting. So I didn't even think you'd go there because you're talking about uh, literally the cost of goods, right? Like the, the materials. Cost, right? Cost, right? cost the, of goods sold. Yeah. Yeah. So to, I'm, a, I'm a chief operations officer. So guess what I'm looking at every day? I look at cost of goods sold and I look at how that brings me to gross profit and net profit. When I'm looking at cost of goods sold for real estate, I'm realizing that, wait a minute, the cost of construction of this asset is 2x what I'm paying today. And whenever you, you buy something where the cost to replicate it is 2x what you're paying, as the market corrects, you cannot lose. I mean, no one in history has ever lost this way, right? Mm. And of course, if I bought in some shitty market where people are losing, that would be another thing. But in 2008, I had a buffet. I had all these amazing markets with population growth and all these you know, great things that are happening there. Obviously, temporarily, they're in a recession at that point in time. But I'm thinking... How could I possibly lose money? I don't understand. I would go around talking to people about this and each person would beat the shit out of me in a different way, right? Yeah. But nobody ever answered my question. How can an asset that costs $200,000 to build be a bad deal buying brand new at 90? So eventually I realized that no one was capable of giving me a straight answer. So I went and bought 10 of them, right? Now, 
10 of them, not, not one, not two, but 10 of them. And I had a challenge and, and we can talk about that challenge next. So, so yeah, I want, I want to talk about the challenge that you face because I think it's, it's going to level set and help us get to that, to that next uh, right. level of scalability. But you said something key. You said when the market adjusts. So I think are mm-hmm. people, do you think people are thinking just short term and thinking, Hey, right now you're going to lose money. And are you maybe thinking differently? Are you thinking long term or are you, does it even make sense up front? So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Are, are we talking about single family just so we can? Yes. Yes. Okay, so we were Not talking about so we we're talking about single family, which I think is really good because it helps us then get to you know the level of scale that you have. So we're talking about single family, and at the time that you're buying this during a recession, you you you're looking at the data, you're looking at the construction costs, you're looking at the cogs, you're putting on your multiple hats that you've had over time, which I think is fascinating. And Neil, the question I have for you, if I, if I'm in your you know in your in your uh, ecosystem and in, in your inner circle, I say, hey Neil, like, but. Are are you are, are you going to make money next month when you buy these? And and what that's would be the key answer? question, right? Yeah. That was the key question. So everybody kept saying, "But you're going to die before you get the money because there's nobody to rent these units." Okay, so here was my challenge. My challenge was I knew I was going to win, but I had to find a way to find ten renters in the middle of the worst real estate recession of all time, right? So I knew there was just a single challenge between me and a very large amount of money. Right. By the way, I, I still own all 13 of them and rents have doubled. Right. So obviously you can imagine how much money I'm making on these. So so he, so I go to Madeira. Right. And I talk with the builders there. It's clear to me that nobody can ever build for anywhere close to what I'm buying it for. And so I go to a property manager and the property manager says, OK, here's the problem. Right. It's the middle of the recession. Madeira usually does well in a recession. It's not doing well this time. Madeira is about 144 miles from the barrier. Right. So I'm driving there. And they're like, all the jobs are in Fresno. It's like, how far is Fresno? Well, Fresno is another 21 miles, right? That's where all the jobs are. Nobody wants to come live here. So I'm like, okay. So what you're telling me is, if I was able to buy 10 of these brand new, gorgeous you know, units and convince 10 people that are currently looking in Fresno to come and live here, then I could make a huge amount of money? And they're like, yes, you'd be like, you'd be like super rich if you did that. And I'm like, okay, I have an idea. So on this, I, I get back into my car and I drive another 21 miles south to Fresno and I go to a broker's you know, um, place and I say, okay, I have a plan. It's a completely insane plan, totally, completely insane, but please listen to me, okay? I want you to go to a bank and put 10 properties in Madeira in contract, okay? But don't buy them, just put them in contract, okay? And I want you to go and tell the bank that we're going to be showing these properties to potential tenants before I purchase them. And I need some access. And, and normally a bank would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right? Go away. Right? But it was 2009. Banks loved people like me. Right? Because banks had a thousand properties on a, on a single part of Madeira. There were 5,000 empty brand new properties in Madeira. So the bank is like, this guy is crazy, but is he willing to put down a deposit? Yes. Here's $30,000 deposit for these 10 properties. I need to be able to show these properties to people. And they're like, okay, all right. So I go back to the, the, the Fresno broker and I say, I want to buy one property in Fresno, okay? And I, it needs to be an older property, cash flowing. I want it to be really cheap, but it needs to be a property that rents very quickly. Like in one day, I should be able to rent it. I don't care about how much money it makes. He's like, okay, here on Summerfield Drive, there's this property, it's four bedroom. It's, it's built in 1994. I can tell you, you'd rent it in, in a day, okay? So we go, buy, we go buy that property. 10 days later, I own that property. 11 days later, that property is rented. So I'm not losing money on that property anymore. And then I do something that some of you are going to consider shady. Please don't fl- flame me on the web. Just imagine how powerful this is for, for what you could do with it. 
So I, I, I call up a guy, a Russian hacker that has worked with me before in kind of mining real estate data. It's, it's a Ukrainian hacker. And I say, okay, I need you to figure out 30 places on the web that you can list individual homes for rent because I need to generate an absolute mountain of leads. And he's like, why? I mean, you know, how many properties are you, are you looking at? I said, no, it's not the number of properties. I have 10 of them, but I need as many leads as you would need to rent 100 properties. And he's like, okay, I don't understand what this is, but hey, you're paying me good money. He comes back to me the next day with a list of like 30 different websites where you can you know, list properties. And then I say, I want you to go hack all of these sites. And he's like, why hack him? Because I, I can't have one listing. I won't get enough leads. I want to have like 10 or 20 listings. So the guy goes and hacks the sites. And one of them, he realizes that if you change the address by one digit, you can get another listing. On another one, he realizes if you put a semicolon in, then you can get another listing. So he basically ends up with 30 sites with 10 listings each. He doesn't do any of the work. He assigns it to one of his other Ukrainians that I'm paying six bucks an hour for. This guy was more like 20 bucks an hour. So in other words, you're getting exposure, right? You're, yeah, you're, exactly. That was the game? So, so what I'm doing is getting a mass, that, that, that property that I have in, in, in Fresno, I'm listing it. It's not even available, but I'm listing it with 30 different engines and each engine has 10 listings. So there's 300 listings. So imagine everyone is only seeing my property. Everyone in Fresno that wants to rent anything is just seeing this one damn property, no matter where they go. So it's following them around the web, right? Yeah. So as a result, I'm getting a shitload of leads, tenant leads, right? So now I go out and hire this lady in the Ukraine. Her name's Nicole, right? So I say, Nicole, you're going to process all of these leads. And when people are going to call, you're going to say, I'm sorry, that property is already rented. But I have 10 gorgeous properties in Madeira. And because you already have their email address, you're going to say, I'm going to send you in a minute pictures of these 10 gorgeous properties. And people on the phone are going to say, no, 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 that's in Madeira. I'm looking in Fresno. I want a property in Fresno. But we have a special, sir. And that special is that if you jump in your car and drive to Madeira, 21 miles away, just 21 minutes away, no traffic, right? Drive there. We will give you 50 bucks in a gas or Amazon card if you just go through three of those homes. Three. We have 10. Just pick three, right? Go through them and we'll give you 50 bucks. Okay. Now, we processed maybe 4,000 leads this way. Oh and gosh. we managed to convince roughly 100 people. Everybody else thought that we were some Nigerian hackers or, you know, idiots or, or cussed at us and hung up the phone. But this was an experiment, right? And we didn't have to get everybody to win. We had 4,000 leads and we only had to get about 100 people to go to Madeira, right? And two weeks later, all 10 of the properties were rented at <laughs> rents of about $1,000 each. So we had $13,000 in income from properties we didn't own. Wow. Right. And of course, 10 days later, we went and closed all of these properties and bought them all. Right. And I still own all of these properties and the rents are doubled. Right. That's what it comes down to. You have to basically be willing to make a leap of faith and know that I'm going to win, but I need to find a way to make money today because the, the win is long term. Right. Those $90,000 properties, I'm now selling them for 270, 290, 310. You know, I'm, I'm now ready to sell them and move on to Idaho Falls, which is my new favorite market. And, and, it, it happened because I was, I was willing to take up this one challenge, right? I remember what this, this, uh, this um, construction guy said in Madeira. He said, if you could find 10 people to fill these properties, you'd make a shitload of cash. That's what I remembered. I forgot everything else. And I'm like, how do I find these 10 people? So I think that's such a good lesson because I, I think um, 
sometimes we're so focused on the macro when you just need to focus on the, on the next, what is the next thing that I would need to do? Right. Like, like, it, but it's interesting because in this case, not to even overcomplicate this method, you, you literally said, okay, in the long term I'm going to win, but how do I solve this short term problem filling this gap? Like it was as simple as that. And I think you'll notice that my story is all about that, that fixation. So by the by 2010, Madeira was done. I mean, all of the properties were sold and, you know, I couldn't buy anything more. Plus, there was a big problem that we don't have now today. We don't have that problem. But you could only buy 10 and, and get 10 construction loans or, or not construction loan, but 10 loans on 10 properties. So back then in 2010, I believed, OK, I'm done. I can't buy any more single family homes because I can't get any more loans. Today, we know something called a portfolio loan that allows you to wrap, wrap these around and, and make them one loan. Trust me, in 2010, the market was bad. Nobody was offering portfolio loans on anything, right? So I thought I'm done in real estate. And so now my next obsession becomes, how do I get beyond this problem? I have 10 homes, but my big fat tech salary is $350,000. Even 10 homes can't replace it, right? And back then my cash flow was 6,000. Today it might be you know, 15, 16,000, but back then it was 6,000. So I hadn't replaced my salary. So it became an obsession. What's the next thing that I do? And that was uh, that was per house. property. You said six thousand. No, 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 no. About uh, each property was was yeah about you know six seven thousand per per year. So I was yeah. making like seventy grand a year or something like that. Yeah. And right now I think it's like one sixty one seventy. So yeah. I was like, how do I get to that point where I replace my entire income with real estate? Yeah. And so the first thing that came to my mind is, well, maybe I want to be a full time real estate person. But then my boss dropped a bomb on me in two thousand ten. He said. And I thought my boss would never sell the business. But in 2010, he was like, I'm 64 years old. I want to sell the business. I want you to ramp, ramp the business up over the next three years, improve profit. We're going to sell in 2013. So I was like, I can't <laughs> believe now I'm a partner in this business, right? Yeah. I'm going to make millions of dollars on the day that this property sells. Yeah. Right? And, just so, and just so we're clear, because as we're, we're putting this together for the audiences and we're listening to this, that was with Unitech where you had started technology to, business and right? you had the technology business, you had the service and, and what you were offering, but then you also had the real estate. And was that also going to be part of the portfolio when you sold? I'm, I'm no, sorry. no. So the, the real estate, you know, a lot of that, you know, we had other investors in and, and sort of, sort of thing that the beauty of the real estate was that the business controlled the real estate. And, and when the sale happened, the business would still be renting that real estate for the foreseeable future, mm. which was part of the allure for the buyer that, Oh my God, these guys had phenomenal real estate as part of the sale. So I knew we would make a phenomenal exit. So I knew I had three years left in technology. And I knew that after I made my millions, I was gone. That was the end of it for me for technology. I knew that for sure. So I was like, what can I do in the next three years to prepare for a phenomenal future in real estate, right? I have three years of being a tech guy. Can I transition in those three years? So my next obsession was about all of these experiments. I ran like a dozen different experiments on how do I get to be a real estate guy without being a real estate guy? And so <laughs> we can tell you that story next if you, if you like. So that's exactly uh, such a good segue because the way you presented that, um, it sounds like the first, you know, your first large set of experiment, Neil, was that, that uh, those initial what was it? 11 properties or so. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in Moderna. And so I was going to literally ask you before you even got there and you're doing such a good job of helping us transitioning and seeing your tra tra trajectory is okay. What happened next? Right? Like, and, and I want to talk about a, a key word that you said, because I think it's important. We talk about the lab and you said prepare. So 
while you're ramping up that business, and, and I want to talk to you personally about this too, because I, I love exit strategies. I, I think that's wonderful. And it's, I'm sure it's, you know, very in alignment with when you're selling a huge portfolio because it's yep. essentially a business, but okay. Prepare preparation. What did that look like? I know you're a big data guy. You're a technology guy. Um, what was it? Was it a mentor? Was it a partner? You already had Paul. Who, who was it? Paul wasn't into real estate. I mean, Paul loved the fact that we were building buildings, but he was not a real estate guy. So it really, the story didn't connect with him. I love Paul, but but this was an individual sort of thing. So I I went to all, you know, I I prepared the way you have and other people have, which is, you know, you go to all the conferences, you read the books, the rich dad, the poor dad, all of those things, you read them. And then you, then one of those big books said something that changed my life. It said, take an inventory of your skills. What do you know today? that could help you with real estate. And I, I, I started writing down stuff. And, and one of the things I wrote is, you know, I have a tremendous grasp on big data and how that big data leads to profit in the future. And that's how I've run my company, basically relying on big data, knowing where to gather it, where to spider it, mine it from the web, grab it from websites, put it together, and then create an analysis that tells me what the future looks like. It's kind of like a little bit like a crystal ball. And I said, this is my skill. How do I apply this to real estate? And I came up one day with the idea and I said, big data, right, in the U.S. has to be with cities because there's a thousand cities in the United States. So what if I were becoming this specialist person that knew which cities would have the best growth in the next 10 years, which neighborhoods within those cities would have the next 10 years? Wouldn't I become like a a niche guy that people would know me for that one thing? They would say, oh, yeah, cities and and neighborhoods in the U.S., there's this guy called Neil Bawa, right? He's going to be that guy. You can go watch his webinars or his podcast. We've done a hundred podcasts on this topic now at this point in time. All of them are on the web, by the way. You can just Google my name. And, and, and that became an obsession for me. It's like, how do I figure out the best cities and neighborhoods in the US? Because that's my thing. That's my skill. And I'm taking a non-real estate skill and turning it into, into a real estate skill. So I became obsessed with that. So I go back to Ukrainian hacker and I say, this time I want you to start mining all kinds of real estate data. So mine the Zillow website, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, mine census reporter, put this data together and, and make it actionable for me. Like well, I can go in and create pivot tables or run SQL queries. I can do stuff with this data that gives me insights, like aha moments, right? About here's what really matters. So we, we start doing this and we're ma- managing huge amounts of data, like massive amounts of data sets from thousand different cities in the US. And for a while, nothing makes sense, right? But then- what do, you, after, what do you mean by that when you say nothing makes sense? Are you saying- Because what I was looking for, I mean, Ruben, what I was looking for is something that predicts the future, right? So I, I was looking for something where, where I could say, if A happens in a city- then B is also likely to happen, which will lead to C, C being lots of money. C being lots of money as a real estate investor. I wanted to say, if this happens, if, if crime level drops below a certain threshold, this threshold, this city will see an increase in home real estate prices by 20%. So, you, so you're looking for true tested indicators that would allow you to to like almost like a proof of concept formula that would allow you to go in multiple markets. More than proof of concept. I was looking for back testing. I was looking to say, mm-hmm. if I have a hypothesis and this hypothesis for the mad scientist is simply this, that if a city grows by more than 1.25% in population every year, then that city's home prices grow faster 
than any city that's below that threshold. Wow. And I had 1,000 cities in the U.S. to test my hypotheses on, and I had backtesting data because one of the most awesome things about real estate is all the data is public. You can go see Zillow prices for every single city in the United States for the last 10 years, right? Yeah. So when I come up with a hypothesis, I could tell if the hypothesis was bullshit by simply applying it to 1,000 cities. And if 95% of the time that hypothesis was correct, then I would say this hypothesis is valid. Now I'm going to add another one to it. By doing that, in a year, I came up with five hypotheses. One connected to, um, uh, one connected to population, one connected to crime, one connected to home prices, one connected to, um, to income, right? People's income. And um, what was the fifth one? So I'm, I'm forgetting one. So uh, jobs, jobs, jobs. So these five hypotheses, and you couldn't say stupid stuff like, well, when jobs go up, you know, home prices go up. That's not a hypothesis. That's just nonsense. You have to be able to say stuff like when jobs go up more than 2.1%, the market just wildly accelerates and outperforms every other market like it. So I came up with specific thresholds beyond which markets went wild. They went wild and they double or triple performed other markets. And obviously, this, this doesn't work 100% of the time because there's other factors going Confounding on that factors. I don't even know about in that market, yeah. like zoning or availability of land. I didn't know any of those things, right? But what I found was more than 95% of the time, these five things meant that I could walk into a city, make every freaking mistake that you can think of, and still walk away looking like a god because all ships were going to rise. And I knew that in advance. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All ships were going to rise. Like I have a property in Dalton, Georgia. No one's heard of Dal Dalton, Georgia. 33,000 people, carpet capital of the world. Okay. Dalton, Georgia. It's 40 miles from Chattanooga. I go and buy a property there and my investors are like, really, Neil, are you sure you want to buy this 151 unit property? It's like, trust me, I know what is going to happen. This market has had no supply. It's locked by mountains. There is no way to build anything more here. And its demographics are stellar, absolutely stellar. Every one of my five metrics, it's at the very top. We are exiting that property with a 55% annualized return to investors. We'll be right back. <laughs> Nobody's heard of Dalton, Georgia. Has anybody heard of St. George, Utah? Right? I'm building something in St. George, Utah, where the projected rents that we gave to our investors after we finished construction have been raised by $100 per unit. I mean, you're in real estate. You know that if rents go up by $100 a unit, you double your profit. $100 a unit higher than what we projected to our investors 18 months ago because I knew the city would rise. It's Washington, it's a city called Washington, Utah. It's actually not in St. George. St. George is tiny. Washington is tinier. But in Washington, Utah, because you can't really build anything at this point of time, occupancy is currently 99.3%, the highest in the United States. I knew that would happen two years ago because there's no land left. Right? So, so That's so what Neil, data does. It, this is fascinating because I know you're big on you say you don't go by the gut feeling you go by data. So, uh, and you're known for saying that. So what does that next step look like as, as when you have the data and you need to pull the trigger, what is the next lowest hanging fruit for you? So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little bit and answer your question, right? So now it's it's 2010. I have found this black box, and it's like beginning to work. Like it's like, oh wow, this is cool. I mean, I I predict something and it happens. And for a while, I didn't do anything with it because I was busy. That that was a time when my company was doing really well. So I let it sit there for a number of years, and then I started coming back to it 2012, 2013, and I said, you know what? How about I do something disruptive? I can't really do anything with real estate. I have no credibility in real estate. I have credibility in tech, right? What if I gave this away? What if th- this, is, this is a black box that I have? What, did I, what if I made it simpler so that anyone could use it in 30 minutes, learn how to use it, and go and find these superstar cities like Dalton, Georgia, or Washington, Utah, that nobody knows about, Idaho Falls, right? What if I did that and gave it away for free? And, and people who know me are like, are you freaking insane? You want to give this away for free? It took you three years to figure this out. And I said, yes, but it would make me famous in a, in a niche. I would be a micro celebrity in this data-driven niche. And they're like, we don't think there are enough investors you know, looking at this niche. And I'm like, no, I think you're wrong. I think that the US is becoming a geeky place. There's all these guys in Silicon Valley that are geeks and dorks and nerds, and they're like me, and they're going to love this, this stuff. And they're like, okay, so where are you going to put it? First, I, I came up with a terrible idea. I, I built a website and put it on there and there were like 50 people using it and they all absolutely adored it. Like the, the thank you list was huge. And I was like, but this is not helping. This is not going to build me a massive investor list. So I, guess what I did? I gave it away for free on the biggest e-learning website in the world called udemy.com, right? So U-D-E-M-Y.com slash real focus. That's U-D-E-M-Y.com slash real focus. And it went completely ballistic. If you go to that URL today, you're going to see 1,000 five-star reviews. You're going to see almost 10,000 people taking the course today. That's crazy. Right? And you, you can see from, it's the most popular real estate course on the entire Udemy website. They have 400 real estate courses. Did you build and a list for that? Number one, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's, a, it's a video course. It's very step-by-step. It basically says, okay, if you use these five metrics in this fashion, and here's an Excel spreadsheet, and here's where to get the data, right? These are all the different websites. Go there, click on this link, grab the data, put it in the Excel spreadsheet, see what the spreadsheet says, look at the metrics, and take 10 of your favorite cities and plug it in. And you're going to be shocked how bad some of these cities are. And you're going to love how good some of the unknown cities are that you never thought would be at the top of this list. You can make a lot more money. And by the way, I sell nothing, Right. The last part was the part that people found exciting. He sells nothing. You don't have a product. You don't have like a pro version of this. There's no subscription. I just get this and use it forever. Yes. Right. And that created a true fan following for me. So by the time I actually got into real estate and started taking my own data and started implementing and buying properties, I had this enormous fan following. Right. I mean, if you Google my name, there's a hundred podcasts. People were inviting me to conferences and I'm like, I haven't done any apartment complexes. Yeah, yeah, but but we, we love your data. Come come talk at our conference, right? Uh, so before I know, I know it, I'm I'm on the conference circuit. I'm talking, you know, on a, on a dozen stages and a hundred podcasts, and it kind of sort sort of allowed me to grow and grow my investor database to where I have one of the largest investor databases in the U.S. I have currently we have 500 investors invested, and we have about 5,000 that have come in registered. They're all accredited. We only work with accredited investors, and so we just did. Um, since the pandemic, we've raised $27 million for projects. And most of them are new construction projects, no cash flow, $0 in cash flow, right? Because right now I'm only doing new construction. I'm waiting for value add to adjust because of the pandemic. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not messing with it at all. 
And but there's so many investors, and what they like is I'm doing projects in Idaho Falls, and they're like, "What the heck is Idaho Falls?" They come to a webinar, I show them where it is on my metrics. They're like, "I want that." Well, first of all, I can't even tell you how how fascinating it is because what what you're talking about. Uh, first, you started with where, what do I know? What am I good at? Right to to implement, which yours was big data. And I, I see some similarities and I'm, you know, way steps way behind you, but I see some similarities in, in being able to serve. Right. So when I started, you know, I got my license and I had no experience, I but I started working with investors and so I could learn and serve them in some way. And then at the same time, even the podcast, like we're doing right now, is like having people um, and serving, serving, and then, you know, being invited without even having done any apartments, but you're known as that guy. And I think that's so important because I think you can add value. You can create omnipresence. So people know who you are so that when you are ready, when you are implementing, when you are launching, you have all these people within your network, which then when data meets the network and the people and the right people in your circle, then you're able to do these really big experiments, which you've done today. But I want to get, I want to get there before we, we, we reach our cutoff time. You mentioned before we opened the show that you have one of the most diverse portfolios, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that because I know you even talk about um, student housing as one. And I don't know if that's related back to unit tech or if that's something that actually started doubling. Oh, no, well, we have a student housing portfolio. Absolutely. Okay. This is very interesting because I don't think I've ever heard that before. I definitely seen your living you talked about what are out of all those which one is like one that people are just looking over or, or overlooking and they have no idea and which one is your favorite oh easily but my favorite is not multifamily even though two-thirds of my portfolio is multifamily multifamily is awesome everybody knows it it's done really well after the pandemic all kinds of good things that i can say about multifamily but it's not my favorite my favorite is one that people are ignoring Right, ten years from now, people will say this was an amazing asset class that Neil Bawa knew knew about in 2018 or 2019. I've been talking about it for a while. It's industrial and specifically a kind of industrial known as flex. Okay, so flex industrial means that you have the zoning availability of building it all as just industrial space, right? Which is like logistics, you can, you know, you can do uh, manufacturing in there, you can drive trucks in and you can, you know, store stuff there. But because it's flex zoning, you can build up to 50% of it as office. Okay. Which is amazing because now you have basically a huge amount of flexibility back and forth. And so in 2019, when the big wigs that have billions of dollars were surveyed as to which asset class is their favorite, they said industrial. And then multifamily came in second, right? With storage doing really well as well, self-storage. But in 2020, in January, when they were surveyed, what is your favorite asset class? Industrial came in number one, multifamily came in number two. And so now here we are eight months into a pandemic. And that gap between industrial and multifamily has widened massively, okay? Two reasons. One, multifamily is having some issues with delinquency, you know, people not paying rent, so on those sorts of things. But the biggest reason is this. In the last eight months, we have had eight years of e-commerce growth. Eight years, right? I mean, imagine that Amazon today, look at the stock, right? We, we recently learned that, um, that uh, Elon Musk has gained $100 billion in personal wealth since the pandemic started. $100 billion. Why? 
because he has so much, you know, stock in in a, in a company like Tesla that's benefiting from e-commerce. They're, they they don't have a, a show physical showrooms anymore. They're they're doing these kinds of things. Jeff Bezos has gained over a hundred billion dollars. He divorced his wife, gave her thirty eight billion dollars, and still remains the richest man in the world. Right? Why? Because Amazon gained over five hundred billion dollars in value because they're the number one e-commerce company in the world. Today, I'm, I'm, Amazon has hired 100,000 people since the pandemic started, but no one connects that back to real estate. People are like, what are you talking about, Neil? I mean, I, I, so are you asking me to buy Amazon stock? It's like, no, know what real estate is required for Amazon to run their business. Amazon doesn't buy multifamily. Amazon doesn't care about senior housing, student housing. All Amazon cares about is very, very large warehouses with trucks and ramps and all those kinds of things that they can develop. And then the second thing that happened with the pandemic is data center growth went up, right? So we got about eight to 10 years of data center growth in one year. Why? Just think about Zoom. Everyone in the world is using Zoom today. Nobody knew about Zoom in Jan, right? Imagine how much data center capacity Zoom has created just for itself. Everyone's working from home. Internet bandwidth usage is, is through the roof. All of that stuff happens. And nobody really thinks about the fact that every data center on the planet is an industrial building. Yeah. Nobody thinks that. It, it's right in front of you. Just think about how, how does this ex affect real estate, right? We, we started doing a new construction project during the pandemic. It was a hard sell because investors don't really understand how powerful, you know, uh, industrial is. But we got it done. We got the raise done. We started building. We have sold the entire project before we built it at prices significantly higher than we projected five years from now. Unbelievable. Sold all of it. Everything sold, right? We just have to finish building and hand over the keys and then walk away looking like gods. Oh, my gosh. This is, this is such a gem. I, I didn't, and the reason I say that is I didn't know where you were going with it. And you connected the dots so well because uh, I've been in the e-commerce business and I am in it. And bringing it to light, I think to any, anybody who's listening, I think it's so important for you to understand how, again, this ties back to the root, the data, the man himself, the mad scientist that you have in front of us is looking at data that's in front of us. We all know that we're all ordering from Amazon every single day. Where is that stuff being stored? Fulfillment by Amazon, you name it, data, which, you know, a lot of it sometimes is even underground in the oceans. You know, that's another topic. The data is really there. You have to read enough of it to see the patterns, yeah. right? So the, one of the things that I do is I spend an hour every day reading reports. And you might say, are you buying these reports? No, I'm not even paying a buck for them, right? I pay for lots of data software. I do. I, I pay a, a ton of money. But most of my insights actually come from the free reports that come from three or four dozen big companies, Marcus and Millichap, CBRE, you know, those kinds of companies. And just like there's Marcus and Millichap and CBRE, there's companies in the industrial space. There's companies in the self-storage space. There's companies in the student housing and senior housing space, right? These are experts. They know what they're doing, right? And so these guys are writing reports and emailing them these reports out every single month. And guess what I'm doing? I have an army of virtual assistants, right? 18 full-time employees. One of them, their job is to basically go out and register with every one of these source. And as that, that information comes in, they basically go in there, grab the, the you know, because a lot of times you go and fill out forms. I don't have the time to do that. They grab that and then they put it for me in a, in a meeting request. And each day I have an hour. And when I open the meeting request, I see three or four reports. And one might be industrial, one might be multifamily, one might be self-storage, one might be senior housing. I go and consume that report. And then I just 
when I'm done with the hour, I, I just finish that and I move on with my, the rest of my day managing and buying properties and building properties. And then a week later, that hour happens again, right? And, and usually it's two hours a week. And so two hours of consumption of this data every week, 100 hours a year, is going to give you an astonishing insight into what is about to happen. And I think people don't do that. They don't yeah. do that. They're like, I, you know, I can't get there because I'm not Neil Bao. Anyone that has an insight about the future is going to be 10 times what Neil Bao is today. Yeah. The data is, is, is the key. And, and 25 years ago, 30 years ago, people used to pay $30,000, $40,000 a year for the subscriptions that you're getting free in newsletters today. And so yeah. people don't respect it because it's free. Absolutely. You can upset any better. I think there's, it's not a, there's an overflow of information. If anything, these days, now it's a matter of, you know, uh, what you're doing, which is, you know, aggregating the right information and providing us these resources, I think is where the value is and where we're going as well. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. And right before we drop outside the lab, and one of the things you were saying as you were speaking to me, I was thinking about the compound effect, which is by Darren Hardy, which is a, one of my favorite books that, you know, talks about how you would literally separate yourself from the pack by just doing this for three months. Like, I mean, gathering this kind of data, I think it was three to six months, you would already put yourself ahead of your peers. Just mm -hmm. one, you know, I mean, you're doing one hour a day. That's some Warren Buffett stuff. You know, even one page, if you're listening out there, start with that and then, you know, double down. And um, that's a, a page from your book that I'm certainly going to take. Uh, speaking of books, uh, you're a man, you're very knowledgeable. It's fascinating just sitting here, just being a sponge. I, I, I want to hit you with the core rapid fire questions. You you talked about reports. Favorite book. Do you, is there one that, you, you know, in, in addition to all the data reports that you do, but is there like a book that kind of like hits? Flip, flips it's always been one. I mean, it's The Miracle Morning. And, and the reason for that is very simple. The Miracle Morning may not be the best book in the world, but it's the most useful book in the world because it allows you to read other books, right? The books that are better. You never find the time to read amazing books, right? You, why? Because you don't ever have the time. If you follow the miracle morning, it creates the time for you to consume everything else. So to me, it is the Rosetta stone of books because it opens up the entire world of books to you. Savers guys, silence, affirmations, real visualization, um, exercise, reading and scribing. I'm a savers fanatic. Me too. I've been doing it for three years now. That's amazing. Wow. The, 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 Five guys, in the, the, morning. the experiments are there. They're, you're, they're, they're, they're in front of you. The blueprints are there, guys. It's just not by chance. Best habit that serves you every day might tie into the miracle morning, but if you have another one. Um, I think the one thing I find that people try to do so many things all at once and, and I, I get accused of saying, you know, that's, that's hypocritical. You, you're, you have three different real estate businesses, you're building, you're, you're in seven different asset classes. How can you be doing the one thing? The one thing is not about doing one thing. It's about doing one thing at one time. It's about focusing on an idea and a concept and growing it. And then you can move on to something else, right? At this point, I have a fixation. And my fixation is Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls is unquestionably far and away the best market in the United States that nobody knows about. I am fixated on it because I know I'm going to win. I'm, I know I'm going to win big. And so no one spends as much time in real estate on, on Idaho Falls, not even people in Idaho Falls as I do. That's my one thing. Wow. Let me ask you, one 300-unit apartment or three apartments of 100 units? Three apartments of 100 units because they give me flexibility of when to buy, when to sell, when to hold, buy some, sell some, keep some, 
refinancing options. To me, I think the flexibility is a bigger deal. Um, I know people talk about scale, right? But beyond a certain point, scale becomes a disadvantage. So I, my answer is counterintuitive. Most people in my position would say, I'll take you know, one, uh, one building of 300 units. My answer is no. I can experiment with three different sets of uh, ideas with three different properties. Can't do that with one. Boom. I love that. Thank you for saying that's amazing. Uh, class A or Class C? Um, B, actually. So the short answer is, I think Class B is where it's at today. Class C is problematic. Um, class C is also prevent scale, right? So obviously you're, you're working hard, you're making money for your investors, but beyond a certain point, you, you need to move up to B. Um, I love A's, but I build them. I don't buy any A's. I build lots of them. So currently have $225 million of either A plus, A or A minus property in new construction. Um, I'm, I buy B's, I buy C's. So I like both B's and C's. So right now what I do is I buy a B, a C, a B, a C, and a B, a C. But if I had my choice, I'd only buy ever buy B's. Why do I buy B, C, B, C, B, C? Because the C's have more cash flow. Some of my investors are just addicted to the whole 8% cash flow nonsensical idea. Whereas, you know, if I buy a B, they're okay with six, right? So you do lower cash flow, higher cash flow, that sort of thing. So that way I can maximize my investor database and get more money out of my investors. But um, I think B is really where it's at um, because five, six years ago, C's were so ridiculously cheap that it only made sense to buy C's. Today, the delta between a B and a C is like $10,000. Why would you want to buy a C when you can buy a B for $10,000 more? When the delta increases, I'll buy C's again. Yeah. Self, uh, self-manage or outsource? Both. So what we do is we have the most unique model in the United States. We have... we do not self-manage our properties. So we have third-party managers. And then I have a four-person full-time team called the Efficiency Center. So one person in the US, three people in the Philippines. These four people are an overlay. They sit on top of the property manager. They generate tens of thousands of tenant leads. They call tenants. They, they text tenants. They get them to the property. They make delinquency phone calls. They make reputation management phone calls. It is an efficiency overlay on top of a third-party manager which harasses the property manager to, to drive towards the best results. That's my belief. So the answer is, I don't do either one of those two things. Oh, oh, I love it. Um, last but not least, I got to ask you this. You know, what's the newest piece of, of technology or software that you feel is giving you an edge um, in addition to all that we talked about? It's not new, but it's, it's been ultra powerful for a long time. And I don't, don't see why people don't get to it. Any company in real estate, especially in the syndication business, in the multifamily business, half of your employees should be Filipino. If they're not, then you're missing something big. So I, I, I have an organization uh, with 10 people in the US and, and in Australia, and then I have 18 full-time virtual assistants. They all work 40-hour weeks. They all work now, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific or, or whatever, whatever time zone their properties in. And they do a hundred million different tasks. I teach classes on that, by the way. And there are classes on multifamilyu.com on how to leverage virtual assistants, how to find them, how to train them, how to, um, you know, how to create systems and processes. It's all in a class, right? And it's completely free. You can go take the class on multifamilyu.com. I have a bunch of classes like this. Every time I come up with a concept, I immediately give it away for free before I can come up with stupid ideas on how to 
charge somebody for it. It's like, before I get greedy, I need to give it away immediately, right? So multifamilyu.com gives away like a half dozen of these kinds of classes. Every class has to be tangible. Like my virtual assistant class actually gives you a specific step-by-step instruction on what are the things you say to a virtual assistant every single day to keep them accountable, right? Here's it on the screen. Just screen capture the sucker. And, yeah. and take it with you. Uh, I can't I can't agree more. I actually have a huddle later today with a dozen of mine. So I, I'm right behind you. I, again, guys, the blueprints are there. Uh, Neil, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me in my lab uh, at dropping gem after gem. I have to say, I, I'm you, you've seen the, the, the type of individuals I've had in here. And yeah. You you gave some really deep gems and or things that I've heard for for the very first time, and that's not easy to do with, with the kind of podcast that we're generating. So seriously, I mean, I, I tip my hat towards you. It's a, you're a, a, extremely impressive and um, inspirational and resourceful. Uh, and so we want to thank you for taking the time to come in with your lab coat as well. Join me here. Uh, this was uh, more than uh, appreciated, not only by myself, but I know for the rest of the community. And where can we find out more about all the crazy experiments that you're running with your, your entire uh, organization? Sure. So my, my most famous experiment is how I use tomatoes to generate a million dollars a year. So I, I grow tomatoes. And that one can be found on Facebook at the Magic of Multifamily Group. So you can join the Magic of Multifamily Group. And that's, that's you know, that video gets posted again and again about how I generate, I uh, find investors by growing tomatoes. Um, and then for those that like structured webinars, we do 20 extremely power-packed webinars, data-driven, very entertaining, very colorful, good-looking uh, 20 of them on multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily followed by the letter u.com. And then if you want to find my podcast, there's about 100 of them. All you have to do is actually Google my name. I happen to be the only Neil Bauer on the World Wide Web. So if you type in N-E-A-L space Bauer space podcast, you'll find about 100 of them. So check those out. If you want them to be on a specific topic, if you want them to be about asset management, type in my name, asset management, you'll find podcasts. If you like virtual assistants, or you want to know how to do that, type that in and you'll get lots and lots of podcasts. You might also see conferences. Some of the conferences have actually published me on stage. So you might be able to find that information on YouTube as well. Wow. And again, we'll make sure that we'll include all of that in the show notes. If you're driving and keep your hands on a wheel, but man, oh man, will I be listening to this over again myself? And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand, 
and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.